0: Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss' The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 601, chapter 90, to sing a song about. Tempe lifted the pine boughs that covered the two men. Laid carefully on their backs, they looked as if they were sleeping. I knelt at the side of the larger one, but before I could get a better look, I felt a hand on my shoulder. Looking back, I saw Tempe shaking his head. "'What?' I asked. "'We had less than an hour of light left. "'Hunting down the bandits' camp without getting caught "'was going to be difficult enough. "'Doing it in a pitch-black storm would be a nightmare.' "'You should not,' he said, firm, serious. "'Troubling the dead is not of the Lethani. "'I need to know about our enemies. "'I can learn things from them that will help us.' "'His mouth almost frowned. Disapproval. "'Magic?' I shook my head. Looking only, I pointed to my eyes then tapped my temple, thinking. Tempe nodded, but as I turned back to the bodies, I felt his hand on my shoulder again. You must ask. They are my dead. You already agreed, I pointed out. Asking is the right thing, he said. I took a deep breath. May I look at your dead, Tempe? He nodded once, formally. I looked over to where Martin was giving his bowstring a careful inspection under a nearby tree. Do you want to see if you can find their trail? He nodded and pushed himself away from the tree. I'd start over there. I pointed to the south between two ridges. I know my business, he said as he walked off, shouldering his bow. Tempe took a couple steps away and I turned my attention to the bodies. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. And I'm Nick. So, here's something that bothers me a little bit. Is it raining right now? I feel like it is,
1: yes, because at the so. end of the chapter, it says, in its place, a steady rain began to fall, okay, so here's began a... to fall, so that means it's not raining potentially no it it, it I... is raining. It's just not raining heavily yet. It has started to rain. It began to fall therefore it 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 is it's happening. It's just not it's like spitting.
0: Yes. Okay. So my point is, it's raining. Oh, in the previous. Yeah. Okay. It's raining. Right. Martin has his bow out. He's like fiddling with the bowstring, um, which does not strike me as realistic because you don't want to get a bowstring wet, or it won't work. Ah, uh, so you want to keep your bowstring dry, and in fact, archers in uh, the medieval period. Would unstring their bows when they were like marching on campaign. If it was raining, they would unstring their bows and put the strings in like an uh, oilskin to keep them dry. So, it does not strike me as realistic for Martin to have his bow strung and then to just sling his bow over his back. I think that he sh- he would be wanting to keep it dry until the last possible second. Although I suppose the counter argument is he he is concerned that he might be ambushed at any moment uh and so he wants the bow ready at hand and he's just going to live with the fact that the string might get a little wet but he'd rather have it out and be able to use it but uh, the bow is not the the weapon that I would I would uh bring to hand if I was caught by surprise because it takes a while to to knock an arrow anyway that's 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 my that's my pet peeve for the day if you had it coated in animal fat would it become water repellent that's a good question i'm inclined to say probably i don't know i just don't know how long that would last before the the animal fat coating would would dissipate under the rain i'm just not sure
1: you know probably like you know one encounter five you know five minutes five rounds kind of thing mm. if i was a dm I'd, I'd just say until end of encounter mm.
0: yeah that's a good point point. and maybe that's what he's doing right maybe he is we don't really see he just says he's giving his bowstring a careful inspection, but it doesn't say exactly what he's doing, so maybe that is what he's, he's doing. He's applying
1: buff. Mm-hmm. He's applying water-resistant buff to it. That's right. He's opened up his crafting menu. He's got the the perfume mm-hmm. uh, that gives him extra attack and uh, water resistance, and he's, uh, he's mixed up a couple of those, and he's applying it in preparation for passing through the fog wall.
0: Yeah, she's right. Charming.
1: I'm glad that we all thought this through so thoroughly. If this were not a moment of dire import, I would say that this is Tempe taking some time to be a teacher. Because I think that in other situations, if it was not like around life and death, Tempe would defer to local custom. But because maybe it's because uh, it's so serious, they're his dead. And maybe it's because he's friendly, Quoth has shown enough respect and curiosity about his culture that he feels empowered to assert uh his culture that he has sort of become obstinate like he's speaking up and preventing Quoth from rummaging through the the dead guys and Quoth seems a little bit uh, annoyed I took a deep breath I think that Quoth is trying to keep his uh his patience well he lost his chill a while ago yeah I feel like his inner monologue would be like oh Tempi this is not the time for your edemic shenanigans I just want to like roll the guy over and and Look at him. So I'm just kind of wondering what I don't know. Wondering I don't know. I just think it's an interesting bit of uh, of Tempe information.
0: Yeah, like, Temp information. If you like, there's like the ADEM have some kind of system for like claiming their spoils, which is not something I would have I would have guessed off the bat. Like that they were a culture. Is that world.
1: what it is? The spoils? They said they're his dead. Yeah, I don't think it's like about claiming their belongings. I, I think, think it's, it's a it's, responsibility like, thing. Yeah, it's like you're responsible for, like, their souls. Like, not like their not just their bodies and, like, their stuff, but, like, you have a responsibility to the the bodies, the vessels, the beings that you ended.
0: Yeah, okay. That's I, how I think
1: of it. I don't think yeah. of it as, like, salvage rights. Well, and
0: I don't think of it as that either, because he says, like, three lines ago that troubling the dead is none of the Lathani. I think he thinks Quoth is going to start rifling through their pockets, which is what any good D&D adventurer would do. My point is that... <laughs> We don't know what significance this has, but we know that it's significant enough that, as you say, even in a somewhat urgent circumstance, Tempe thinks it's important enough to say, "Hold on a minute! You have to ask me permission. You can't just go touching those guys."
1: Yeah. Well, we learned something about the Adam, and it's nice. It's cool. It's good.
0: But we also like get a strong sense of the Adam taboo against magic, however they conceive of it, because it it is troubling enough to Tempe that he almost physically frowns with his face when he thinks that that's what Quoth is going to do, that he's going to do some kind of like necromancy on them to acquire information.
1: But that is not in fact what is going on.
0: No, but that's, a, that's another data point I'm saying about Adam culture and their perception of magic. Cause we know that like vintage people are superstitious. We we can kind of understand where like Martin and Dayton and Hespi are coming from, but Tempi's from a different culture than them and I think that is a, it is a useful thing to to start to think about, like, why are the Adem so leery of magic? What what reason might they have for that?
1: I mean, it might not be that they're, like, culturally leery. It might just be that they're not used to it and it makes them uncomfortable.
0: But that's also a data point is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, they, yeah. you know, something to think about, something There's to... There's
1: information to be gathered here.
0: Something to be paying attention to when we get to Ademra. Indeed.
1: Like every page on this merry chase we've let ourselves on, there is data upon data to be gathered and sifted and never really (laughs) resolved.
0: Well, and eventually there's lore, too.
1: That's true, yeah. If you read every page, you get the achievement.
0: You get to activate it when you find it on a desert planet somewhere.
1: Um, We have a letter today if we're done with the page. I think so. Sounds good to me. This is from Often Nathan, who writes, uh, (laughs) Bad Assumption. Greetings, Jordanic. It's been a while since the last time I wrote in. Thankfully, other listeners have also picked up on a few topics I intended to share my thoughts. I'm a bit behind, but on a recent episode, Nick was talking about hot doubts that a prequel story about Kvothe's parents would even be interesting. Then Jeremy suggested that it would be as boring as a story about Thomas and Martha Wayne. Both are reasonable assumptions. On the face of it, I admit Jeremy's premise is solid, but in reality, he's dead wrong. The TV show Pennyworth follows the life of Alfred before working for the Waynes quickly meets Thomas Wayne and Martha Kane who have their own plots and character arcs. I thoroughly enjoyed the first two seasons of this show and eagerly await the third and probably final season. May your pots be cracked and your fences be set. Signed, often Nathan. Now, I agree with you in principle, Nathan, but that only works if you have a lot of people who are already invested in the main story so much, enough that they want to to dig into it. I think you can only get there when you have a really grand mythology. I think that Penny's Pennyworth and like Gotham and Smallville only work as shows because there is enough of an established mythology among the greater pop culture that there's enough of a demand and interest in, in looking at that. But I still think that Name of the Wind is relatively niche. Uh, I don't think it has enough cultural cachet. And if... The first exposure to Name of the Wind. And like, who knows? Maybe it would have been a great show, the, the Kvothe's parent show. Maybe it would have been great. But I don't think that you would have had as much interest right out of the gate as a story about Alfred. Because we have a lot of fans of Alfred, just people who are like really into it. I, I get you, but I don't totally agree that Alfred, the Pennyworth show, is a great <laughs> parallel to the Kvothe's family prequel. Also, uh, the new Robert Pattinson Batman, uh, Martha's family name is Arkham. So that is uh, that is incorrect. That's canon now or what? That but. is
0: incorrect. Her last name is Kane, or it's her side of the. Well, family. in the movie, it's it's Arkham. Yes, it's, I know, but the movie is wrong. Much, okay,
1: <laughs> okay, the movie is wrong. You heard it here first, folks. We can all
0: ignore the movie. <laughs> the Arkhams are not related to the to the Waynes or the Kane's. The Kane's are uh, are Kate Kane's family, so that's how Bruce is related to Kate Kane, Batwoman, because she's his cousin on his mom's side. I simply must convey in the strongest possible terms that I think that the Pennyworth show is ill-conceived from the get-go because I simply do not care about Alfred's life as like a, I think one of the stupidest retcons of Alfred's backstory was making him like an MI6 spy who became a butler. I, like him being an army medic, that's fine. Especially when that character was created, like it makes sense that he would have been like a medic in World War One and then World War II. It makes no goddamn sense at all to make him like James Bond. And I, I simply cannot imagine a world in which the the lives, in which the mythology of Batman is enriched by messing with what the Waynes and Keynes are doing before their deaths. Like, it, it just does not work for me. Uh, likewise, I think that both Gotham and Smallville really suffer from the constraints of their premise. Like it's so obvious that Gotham wants to be a Batman show because they introduce all the villains as totally grown-up versions of themselves, but they have to have Bruce Wayne be 8 because that's the premise they set themselves with. So then we have to assume that in that show's world, by the time he becomes Batman all his villains are like 60, uh which doesn't really make any goddamn sense. And Smallville went on way too long because it became harder and harder for them to sustain the premise of that show. Like they introduced the entire Justice League but he's still running around in like jeans and a t-shirt because they can't let him put on the Superman costume anymore or it can't be Smallville, now it's just like a Superman show and they were unwilling to do that. And I think that that show whatever you think of it when it started out and I personally don't think very much of it but I think that even fans of it would argue that it got weaker as it went on because that constraint became suffocating and I think that's that's just like the danger you run into when you make a prequel because more often than not you get trapped by like having to set up the thing that you're a prequel to and you just can't tell a compelling story because the characters that people care about we all know what's going to happen to them.
1: Jeremy. Yeah. I think that while you make a salient point, you're totally off topic and we should end the page. <laughs> Do you have an opinion about uh, Gotham, Smallville and prequels in general right Or at least like prequels that report to reset the context of a popular character. My opinion is that we should end the page as it has been a reasonably long episode. No, no, I have nothing. No, we're end, end end. goodbye.